College admissions and transitions can be overwhelming. SATs, AP classes, resumes, financial aid, and the list goes on. We as parents and counselors are here to help our teenagers make sense of it all and empower them to make good decisions. If you want to see your child succeed in that transition, which we all do, it comes down to helping them accept who they are. That's why we created Self Accepted, guiding families through college admissions and big transitions. This bi-monthly podcast will answer the questions that we hear parents asking all the time, so you'll be prepared to send your child into their bright future. Hi, I'm Dr. Beth Denard. My students and their families call me Yoda Beth. Not because I've trained Jedi for 800 years, but something pretty close. For the last 40 years, I've helped families prepare and transition their students successfully into adulthood. A pretty comparable feat, don't you agree? I'm the owner and director of Bright Futures Consulting, a U.S. Air Force veteran, former college admissions counselor, mentor, mom, and grandmother. I'm excited to share what I know with you, both from my formal education and the School of Hard Knocks. I want to lead you away from misleading information and the college frenzy and closer to having answers that move your teenager forward towards their bright future. Let's get into it. Howdy. We're here at Bright Futures in Houston, Texas, and back with Mr. Raymond Van Buskirk. If you haven't listened to podcast episode number two yet, go do that right now. It's all about having the financial talk with yourself, your family, and ultimately your teenager. In this episode, we're diving into the difference between merit and need-based financial aid, types of income, savings, and student profiles. This episode will help you create a framework for paying for your son or daughter's education. As always, you can find all the resources and links from this episode in our show notes at brightfuturesllc.com backslash show notes. Raymond, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. Since we have a lot to cover, let's jump right into it. What's the difference between merit and need-based financial aid? Well, merit financial aid is very much like its title. A merit is based on how you're doing with your academics. Let's say your SAT scores, your ACT scores. Are you a National Merit Scholar? Are you a Commended Scholar? Uh, what are your grades? How did you do there? Do you have some special talents or abilities? Are you into sports and top of the league? Are you uh, a great tuba player? What kind of other talents and skills do you have? So colleges will give merit aid based on students that they really want at their college. So if you have some special skills, uh, they may give you anywhere from a partial discount, a couple thousand dollars, to sometimes all the tuition they'll pay for and even more. So that's, that's merit aid. It's based on who you are and what you bring to the table when you go to college. Now need-based aid is very much like it says. It's based on need. So let's say you have a family and they make $40,000 and this is the first student that's ever gone to college in their family. And maybe they have an ethnic profile too. They're Native Americans. Colleges might even pay to fly the student out there to interview them to uh, see if they'll consider their college. And if they get in, they may pay for the whole thing for that student 
and more because they're looking for that diversity and for the student who has special circumstances. Particularly also, let's say the student has been an Eagle Scout and also started a food bank for the homeless. I'm just making this up. But uh, they look at things like that and say, what does this student bring to our table? And we're willing to uh, bring the student on board based on their financial need and also special things that they bring to the table. So speaking of financial need or need-based financial aid, what qualifies a student for the need-based financial scholarships or discounts? Uh, certainly. So some of the federal aid is, is very definitely related to family income. And I gave the example of $40,000. A family that makes $40,000 a year would almost certainly be getting Pell Grants and other federally sponsored aid. They'll also be eligible for uh, subsidized loans and unsubsidized loans. It all depends upon their income and their assets. So that's what the federal government does. Is it has a formula for evaluating those and giving need-based aid. In addition, the colleges, based on their cost of attendance, which adds up all the various costs, tuition, fees, room and board, books, transportation, other personal expenditures. We'll look at that and they'll look at a formula what they think the family can provide and the difference is what they may provide. Not all colleges meet all the what we call true needs of the students but they generally give a percentage of that amount that the family would fall short in terms of their ability to pay for college. Now, Raymond, we know you're the financial guru here at Self Accepted, and we know that you're also um, highly credentialed in terms of having a background with an MBA from Berkeley and having worked in the federal government for the um, Department of Education and so on. And you, you, turned, uh, you, you talked about subsidized and unsubsidized loans, and I'm not an expert in these areas. Can you kind of drill into those terms? Well, sure. Also, based on the family's finances and the student's finances, uh, subsidized loans are at a lower interest rate, and then also uh, they don't ac accumulate interest during the time the student is in college, no. and that's a tremendous advantage. Yeah. Uh, then uh, non-subsidized or unsubsidized are at a lower rate, uh, than you'd get in the marketplace, but uh, they do accumulate interest. So some months after the student graduates or leaves college, then they have to start making their loan payments and their various schedules or ways to pay those back. Some are based on income. Some are based on the number of years over which you want to pay the money back. And then there are also possibilities when you have student loans that if you work for a nonprofit, after making faithful payments for a certain number of years, the remaining balance can be forgiven. Wow. So some people go into nonprofit work or they work for the government, and after a certain number of years of faithful payments, the remaining balance of their loans are forgiven. Tremendous advantage. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for explaining the need-based and the merit-based uh, aid. And so is there, uh, some of the examples you gave kind of combine the two, the Native American family 
for example, they had the 40,000 income, and then you had maybe a student that had some talent there as well, academic talent that's flown into a university. Um, so should a family look at both? Absolutely, absolutely. And some of that's going to be based on which particular college or university the student applies to. So I've seen some universities, there's some that we know that are a lot of times on our college list with the students we work with that very much discount uh, a family's income and assets. In other words, maybe they have pretty high income and assets, but they look very carefully at what the student brings in terms of their academics, their merit. And so they give them pretty generous merit aid is a good way to get them into the college and give that college a much better reputation. So there, there are colleges that are eager looking for certain types of students. And uh, we know many of those and we try to direct our families to consider those colleges because of the amount of merit aid that they would give those students. Now, you know, a lot of our listeners are parents and, you know, in the parking lot talking to other parents, the, the term scholarships is batted around pretty heavily. Like my student's going to get a football scholarship here in Texas, or my student is in the marching band and plays the, the tuba, as you suggested. So there might be scholarships for him or her. What are, what are the scholarships that are really important to talk about today? Well, the first thing that I tell people about scholarships is most of them are going to be college-based. That is, they're going to be the college that the student applies to and is accepted to. They have a list of scholarships. Some of them they automatically consider the student for the scholarships. In other cases, on their website, they will say, these are the ones we have available, and you can pick and choose which ones you want to apply for. So first of all, institution-based scholarships. And then, of course, there are other scholarships. You see them all over the place. Uh, different groups will give out scholarships to people in the community, students in the community that meet certain criteria. Uh, many times they also apply to that uh, financial considerations. What's the family income? Okay. So, yeah, I think sometimes families are saying the word scholarship, but they really mean sometimes financial aid, and they also really mean the merit-based scholarships at the college. But there's a third category, like you mentioned, maybe like the Wendy's restaurant, which is the Wendy's Heisman, which is for the athlete scholar, or, you know, there's um, popular Coca-Cola scholarships, and there's, there's thousands of scholarships that I call third party that might, like you said, require the family to um, list their adjusted gross income. We'll get into that later, but before we do, I think it's really helpful for Raymond to talk about the fact that there are 27 types of family financial profiles. Now, that kind of boggles my mind. Okay, so what I look at is high, medium, and low income, high, medium, and low assets, and high, medium, and low academics and special talents. So you, you could look at a family. Let's take an example a family with relatively high assets, medium income, and relatively high academics. And that would be a case of a student that might uh, have on their college list certain universities that really reward merit and might give that student a lot of merit aid. 
Now let's take another example. Let's say they have high assets, high income, and uh, maybe lower on the academic side. Well, in that case, maybe the family is going to be paying most of the tuition and fees and expenses, but they might be able to get that student into a better institution, maybe an institution that really can work with their student for academic success. So all of those are good options, and we want the student to be able to achieve their goals and get value out of the institution that they go to. Let's say another example, a family that has low income, low assets, and high academics. Now, that student might be the one that we'd suggest apply for a lot of the Ivy League schools, because if that student gets in, almost all the expenses are going to be paid for. So each of these different family profiles are important to look at and have fundamentally different strategies. One size does not fit all. Now, in the day that I applied for college, it pretty much was the case that if you got into the college, you could afford it, either through your parents or through working another job. You could afford to go through, let's say, most public universities in most states. It was not a problem. Today, it's a much different world. It's much more expensive for families. And it's not possible in most cases for the student to pay for their own college right off the bat. They're going to be student loans and they're going to be a requirement for the parents to help. So understanding who your family is in those areas of assets, income, and academic abilities, and then getting the right match of college lists is very, very important to getting the best value for the student and their future. Well, thank you for explaining that and for giving us kind of a simplified version of what you do with our with our families and work with them in all the different categories. But, you know, I, I know you and I've known you for probably about 15 years, and I know that you've done excellent work with our clients as well as with your own children, who I was privileged to work with as well. Do you care to share an example of some of the things that your own Shining Star students uh, were able to do and then also your financial expertise and how that helped you all pay for college. Well, we had a major life transition. I had saved a fair amount for each of our three students. Uh, and I was a senior financial executive making just wonderful income. And then the Lord called me and I became a pastor at just a fraction of what I used to make. Now, when our students start approaching college, both my wife and I were a little bit concerned because we did not have a lot of extra money from our family budget month to month to put towards college. And we had a fixed amount that we had for college. And our strategy had to change from what it might have been before. So what we did is we both worked on the merit and the need-based side. So each of our students was able to get uh, subsidized and unsubsidized student loans, that was part of it. Then in addition, we used from their college fund amounts to pay for tuition. On top of it, the students, each of the students had a part-time job while they were going to college. And then uh, we worked very strongly on their academics, so they did well on their ACT and SAT. Uh, one of our students 
said, I want to get into a certain very prestigious public university in Texas. I'll just go ahead and name it Texas A&M. And he only wanted to apply to that one college. He said, I'm going to go to Texas A&M. And I said, well, you're going to be crying if you don't get in. He said, no, Dad, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get in. Well, he took the ACT and he got close to an automatic admission. And then he found the area that he was weak in. We did tutoring in that area. He went back, he took the test again, and he got the score he needed to go to Texas A&M, and everything worked out. And he did work uh, a part-time job when he was at A&M. And I want to tell you today that all of his college loans are paid off, and he's doing quite well, and, and he's saving. He's saving money right now. Uh, and then another student uh, did very well. She went to a, a private college and actually uh, with her scholarships, her merit aid and need-based aid, she paid less than what she'd pay to go to one of the public universities in Texas. And then she on, also went on to graduate school and most of her loans are paid off. And then a third student, um, did very well, also got a lot of discounts on college through merit-based and need-based aid. Uh, now she went into a social service area where she's not making a big income, but in terms of her loan repayments, uh, she's on an income-based loan repayment, and she's doing fine too. You know, maybe she has to go to the Goodwill every once in a while to pick up some clothes, but she's into that, or pick up a table for her apartment, She's into that, and she relates to that. So there's a plan for each student, and there's a plan for each situation. The key thing is to plan well in advance, understand your situation, be honest about it, and go forward and, and work. Really, I recommend with a consultant who knows the ins and outs and knows the programs that are available, the types of scholarships that are available, the types of universities, and how they would view that student and their particular circumstances. Well, thank you, Raymond, for sharing your personal stories. I mean, you're, you're hitting on all the main themes for our, our podcast, which is called Self-Accepted. You accepted your situation. You brought your wife and your children into the, the vulnerability aspect of it, which you're a pastor. You're not earning the big incomes that you had been used to. And, you know, you claimed your spot on the spectrum that you help families understand about themselves as well as you know, motivated your students to have some skin in the game by working. And then the transparency led to great outcomes with your, your own children. So remember, all of these, all of these um, different categories and types of, of families will be in the show notes. It's really hard for us to go into all the details and the numbers about what those different categories represent, but we'll have that in the show notes for you. So paying for college is quite a huge undertaking, Raymond. Um, you've created a framework for paying for college, and you know, tell us about that. Well, the way I look at it, it's really a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this other thing, and it's piecing these together. So it's maybe some of your family income, some of your family assets, maybe some money from relatives, some local scholarships, some institution-based scholarships, some that's need-based, some loans, some grants, other opportunities for work at the college, 
and you could have easily a dozen or more of these little pieces of financing that come together that make it work. And that's what you do. It's, it's usually not just one big thing. We run into some families, they say, well, uh, our daughter is really great in ballet and we think she's gonna get a full ride to some college in New York. Well, maybe, but when they get in the tryouts, they're not taking that many and everybody wants to get a free ride. Or someone says, well, my son's really good in football. I'm sure he's gonna get a full ride football scholarship. Well, we find out it's really one half of 1% of all the athletes in high school ever end up getting those types of scholarships. So it's not very likely that's gonna occur and we really shouldn't place all of our hope on that. Now it does happen in some cases. We have some people that are Olympic athletes and they're just fantastic and do so well and that's great, but they are the, the rare case. Most people end up having to pay a fair amount of money for college. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, uh, let's talk a little bit about the student loans because borrowing money has become, some families have just a, uh, their family value is not to borrow any money for college. And you know, we wanna respect that. But as you mentioned, talking about your own children, several of them did borrow money to pay for college and they've had their loans paid off or they're succeeding in paying off their loans in a timely fashion. So can you talk about the loan process? Yeah, let's talk about the loans. So sometimes I get polar extremes. I get families that say, it'll be no problem. We really can't contribute much in the way of assets or income, but our student will take out loans to pay for college. Well, first of all, that's not gonna happen. Um, there's a limited amount that you get in federal loans and then when you go into other types of loans, generally the family, the parents have to guarantee the money. And those are, are maybe twice the interest rate. So they're not that attractive. Trying to finance all a college with loans is probably not gonna work. Now you can go to a community college and maybe the tuition is pretty low and the student stays at home and maybe that would be okay. Maybe you'd get enough loan money to pay for the tuition, depending on the district you're in. But with most colleges, that's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. And then I run into families that say, under no circumstances will we ever, ever, ever take out a college loan. We just won't do it. But then you find that for the college that's appropriate for that student, there needs to be something in the way of loans. So I tell people, you just need to be responsible. Now let's talk about grad school. Sometimes you have students that say, well, I wanna to go to law school, or I wanna go get an MBA or something, but they're not going to an institution that's prestigious enough with that graduate degree that they will get a job paying that much more to make it cash flow. So we have students, not our clients, but you see them out there in the marketplace, that go and add up $100,000 of loans in graduate school, and then they find out that their law degree is not that valuable. They're not even working as a lawyer, they're just as a paralegal. They're not making that much, and they have great difficulty paying back the loans. So loans can be good, but you have to be really wise about what kind of loans and how much you should mm -hmm. take out, considering the profession you're going into, and the likely uh, cash flow that you're gonna receive from that to balance out what your loan payments are. 
Yeah, I was uh, privileged to sit with one of my bilingual students. He was a first-generation college-goer, and he asked me to sit in with him as he went through the loan application process and the loan acceptance process, so I did. In fact, he used my computer and uh, at school to sit next to me, and he went through, you know, screen after screen, and it was quite a few, quite a quite an ordeal, quite a few screens, and it was very clear as he was going through this, and I was looking over his shoulder that there's a lot of uh, very clear language when students are taking out loans that they will have to pay this back. And it's in, it was in English and it was in Spanish as he went through it. And man, it was kind of scary for me. And of course, scary for him to think about uh, taking on the loan debt. Uh, but in his case, he was gonna be majoring in chemical engineering and he felt comfortable that his first job out of college, he'd be able to re start repaying mm -hmm. right away. And it was the case with him. Um, so should parents, and in this case, the young man's parents really did not, weren't in a position to co-sign his loans, would you recommend that parents co-sign their teenager's student loans? I, I recommend parents be a little cautious. So uh, my strategy is I like the student to have skin in the game. And when they know that they are responsible for those loans, it makes college all the more important and it makes graduating on time all the more important rather than going for extra years. So I think it's it's really it can be a good strategy of having the student, even if your family is fairly well off, having the student take out some loans so they know they're on the hook for that education. And then after they graduate, maybe come in and say, hey, as a graduation present, we're going to pay off X percentage of, of your student mm. loans, maybe all the student loans as a special graduation present to you. Mm -hmm. So you've got the best of both worlds. You've got the student really invested literally in the college, and uh, then you have the opportunity to pay off the loans or get gifts uh, from family members after the student has graduated. So if you do have any questions about student loans, feel free to reach out to us at brightfuturesllc.com backslash loans. There we'll provide more information about student loans, FAQs, and a form to ask about questions that are not already covered in this, in this podcast. So, you know, can we shift gears? I know you've uh, helped families also with tax strategies, not that you're a CPA, but sometimes taxes also factor into a family's profile? Uh, they, they do indeed. So we have to be careful what kind of qualified plans like IRAs, 401ks we borrow from and what are the implications there for the family. And uh, taxes and fit in very well with the college planning. Mm -hmm. So what are, you, what are you doing as a family? What kind of income? Uh, maybe ways, strategies to save on taxes so that you have more money available for college. A lot of times, uh, and we've gone through this, Beth, um, people just gather up all their tax return information and give it to a taxpayer and they crunch it out and then they're very surprised what the answer is, sometimes on the good side and sometimes where they're having to pay a lot more money. So there are things people can do in terms of tax planning to save money, and then that money can be available for college. I know one of my friends is a tax attorney, and I asked her one day, because she was always talking about dealing with the IRS, and that's what she does day in, day out, and I said, 
hey, you know, who are your clients? Are they criminals? Are they in trouble with the IRS? Because in my mind, I was thinking about, you know, inmates in prison, or I, I just had no idea who her clients might be. And she said, they're well-meaning, hardworking people, mostly grandparents of college-bound college grandchildren. And the grandparents, in a well-meaning way, took money in advance out of their retirement funds before they were eligible, and they had to pay a lot of taxes at the back end. Like you said, they were surprised mm -hmm. with how much uh, taxes they were taking out on their retirement savings, um, or how, many how much tax they had to pay on the money they took out prematurely. With a well-meaning, you know, they, had, they thought it was their money and they could spend it as they wanted to. It was their retirement fund, but by taking it out prematurely, they got hit with a very big tax penalty. And so, you know, she would fight for them and she would help them understand what they were doing. But tax, the tax situation can be very tricky. So be, be careful, listeners, to consult with your tax preparer, your professional CPA, before you dip into your retirement savings to pay for college. That's, that's really good advice. I tell you, the first time I used uh, one of the uh, products for filling out my taxes versus doing it by hand, all of a sudden, I ended up with all these extra forms and questions, and they said, did you consider this? Did you consider that? And I was going, oh my goodness, here were things that I did not know existed that were available to me that I could save on my taxes. And then even more when you talk to a CPA who advises you on here's a strategy or let's plan this year, what kind of activities are going to be different this year, what you'll be looking for. And here's a suggestion for how you can save on your taxes. That is that advice is worth well more than what you're ever going to pay a CPA or an mm -hmm. advisor for. Well, let's again shift gears from taxes and talk about scholarships because there are different types. And I know I was a recipient of an ROTC scholarship, an Air Force ROTC scholarship, which really helped me afford my four-year college degree. And I tell you, for some students, that is absolutely the way to go. I uh, know another seminarian and his family, and uh, they also had reduced income. And what they did was each of their, their boys ended up going into the military, and now they have a, uh, funding through their service in the military for college. It's really wonderful. I just met with a young man yesterday who's applying to medical school, and of course there is a uniformed services university for medical-related fields. Mm -hmm. But then again, they pay back their quote-unquote loans by serving their country in the military, and he's quite excited about that possibility. Yeah, and some other types of scholarships. Some organizations have essay scholarships. So if you're good at writing essays and can um, submit those, you have to balance how much time you spend on writing the essays versus other things you could do to earn money for college as well. But there are other saving tips. We have a whole list of saving tips that we use with our clients, but I'll just throw another one, du dual credit classes. Sometimes you're able to get credit for college courses while you're still in high school and you can save on that. Uh, but you have to be careful there. You want to make sure that the college that you're applying to is going to give you credit for that particular class. Or you have advanced placement, and each of the colleges have their rules for whether and what kind of credit they give for advanced placement. 
But these are strategies to save money on college, and there are a lot of different strategies. Uh, I've seen cases where a student, at the time they graduate from high school, also have an associate's degree that they've completed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so saving time equals earning college credit and earning money. So if you save time by taking college classes when you're in high school and you earn the college credit, in the end you save money and time. So you can, you can put together a plan with the Bright Futures Consulting team and you can also put together the financial plan with Raymond on our team. So we will be offering you some tips for applying for scholarships. Some of these I've learned from the School of Hard Knocks, others from working with students over the past 40 years. Scholarships are great, but sometimes the applications can seem more time-consuming than they're worth. It's important to remember that choosing a college and paying for it is a business decision. And I tell my young uh, clients, these teenagers, I say, look, I know it just seems like education, 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 but it's, there's, a, there's a great deal of business decision going on in the college decision, and I try to tell them college is also a business decision. Scholarships make it a smarter business decision than paying for the entire load yourself. So parents, if your teenager doesn't want to apply for scholarships, ask them which you prefer. Writing a winning scholarship that could take you two to four hours to write to get $500 or work at McDonald's for about $8 per hour for about 80 hours, assuming some deductions for tax, to make the same $500 uh, scholarship amount. So. You know, it's really good to explain these financial terms to your teens so they get an idea because a lot of kids just really don't want to write one more essay for a scholarship, but it might be the winning essay. So here are my tips to get the most bang for your buck as you start to source funds for your teenager's college education. First, have your teenager apply for colleges in the fall. As I always say, fall is football season, it's also college application season. And then after their applications are in, then worry about the financing part in terms of applying for third-party scholarships especially. And even the ROTC scholarships like I applied for, the deadline is December 1. So most college deadlines um, that I work around are November 1. Uh, so then they still have a month to fill out the ROTC um, scholarship application, which is one of the earliest third-party scholarships available in terms of the deadlines. And if you tuned into the first part of this two-part series, you will know to have that conversation about financing between you, your spouse, a financial advisor, uh, before you talk to your son or daughter. We will link to part one in the show notes if you missed it. But really consider having the talk, uh, I would say, way before their junior year. Wouldn't you say, Raymond? That's, Absolutely, if not earlier. Yeah. So after the lengthy college application process, which can be very tiring and extremely detail-oriented and consuming, your teenager is going to be exhausted, and then they have the, the holidays, the winter holidays, and then they have spring semester, which a lot of times students get senioritis. So I always tell um, at least one parent, maybe you can help with some of the heavy lifting when it comes to applying for scholarships, finding scholarships. Um, and maybe you can help them manage sort of a database that they're eligible for and help them manage those deadlines. You must be the CEO of scholarships. And remember, that's gonna help your bottom line as a family to help your son or daughter afford college. 
And once you get the basics, you get the, the essays that are typically about what major they're going to choose and what their career goals and plans are. Once the essays are written, you have their resumes, which is a list of their accomplishments during high school. You have their SAT and ACT scores, and you have their high school transcripts. That's the packet that a lot of scholarships are asking for in terms of their application. The application is usually just your name, your address, what high school you attend, and many of them request the adjust your gross income from your tax return. So you're early in the game, have your son or daughter write scholarship essays in their junior year or over the summer before their senior year. Here's a tip, it's really hard to motivate some teens as college seems so far away, but remind them that it's much close, closer than they think. Pick a variety of topics that you think they could answer with strong essays, and then have them prepare those essays in advance. You know, there's a, a lot of schools, public schools and private schools use Naviance, which is a college um, application and support software program. It's very, very powerful and it's very helpful. And many of the schools, uh, college centers will collect scholarship applications that they receive from different sources. And they put those scholarship application uh, links into a database on Naviance. So if your high school, if your son or daughter's high school uses Naviance, it's a great resource and it even allows you to sort the scholarships by deadline. So you can even have like a, a running deadline of scholarships that are due and help your students to um, manage their time accordingly to meet those deadlines. So back to the framework, we're gonna talk about the rich uncle or the rich grandparents and just, you know, that can be a delicate, again, um, a vulnerable conversation where if you have someone in the family that you know has been very financially successful, you know, you might hesitate to have a conversation about asking for help regarding the um, paying for college piece in your family. How would you recommend going about that, Raymond? I think it's important to, uh, to talk to uh, the, the relatives and get an idea. In some cases, you don't know what resources they have available, but you can share the story of your student, their aspirations, their hopes, and uh, sometimes it's, it's good to be vulnerable and just say, you know, we're going to have trouble paying for this and we're trying to figure out what kind of resources might be available and ask them if they have any ideas. Okay. In some cases they'll say, well, as a matter of fact, we've set some money aside and it might be better to give it to you all now. Mm -hmm. And you know, many times these close relatives love your uh, children and they want to help them with this very important part of their life uh, and the expenses that go with it. And if they have the cash reserves, maybe that's a better um, investment from, from their point of view than giving to a charity even at that point in their lives. And, you know, a lot of times I know parents feel it's their responsibility to pay for their own children's education and they might feel embarrassed or like they're begging. But if you don't ask relatives or even family friends, you'll never know um, if they'd be willing to support the education for your children. I, I have to interject. I think it's it's very good to have the incentive that you'd help them pay off their student loans after they graduated. That's just a wonderful incentive. That's my favorite, is the grandma and grandpa are saving up some money, and when you graduate, they're going to give you a present to help pay off your student loans. Mm. Yeah, that would be a wonderful uh, relief and a wonderful surprise after graduation to get that, that check.
So really, uh, from a listener's point of view, today's conversation with Raymond ha- might sound a lot like a patchwork quilt. You know, there are a lot of ways to pay for college, and I don't want any of you out there to be um, intimidated by this. Uh, the first thing starts with a really honest, self-accepting conversation with uh, your family, within your family, to address the, uh, the financial aspects. And understand there's no silver bullet. I mean, a lot of pressure is on uh, student athletes and really talented students to get these scholarships. They think it's a silver bullet, but there's so few of them, honestly. And teaching your student now to delay gratification, set up a savings account, and students that are willing to work throughout college, like all of yours did, um, mm-hmm. really helped out the family. Absolutely. And it also helped them develop a resume so that when they graduated, they had some work experience. It's homework time. And at the end of our podcast, we always give homework. If you haven't heard part one of this episode, be sure to listen to it. It's podcast episode number two. Then get an estimate of exactly how much college is going to cost before you create a framework for paying for college. Every college will have a a cost estimator on their website. They're required to have that by law. And you can go to your favorite college and bring up that part of the website and and find out what is the total cost of attendance at a specific school. And searching for the university's net price calculator should be very easy in the search button on the university website. As always, all the activities will be in the show notes at brightfuturesllc.com backslash show notes. Thank you so much, Raymond, for joining me in both part one and two of this podcast. I appreciate your time and your insights are invaluable. It's such a joy. Thank you for having me. Hope to be back soon. this time on Self Accepted, guiding families through college admissions and big transitions. Created by your college counseling experts at Bright Futures Consulting. You can find more resources or schedule a complimentary consultation with a Bright Futures expert today on the Bright Futures Consulting website. That address is brightfuturesllc.com slash consultation hyphen podcast. If you like this month's podcast episode, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. You're officially one step closer to helping your student accomplish their college dreams. Their future will thank you. Thank you.